Hello everyone and welcome to the Healing My Earth, Healing Me podcast, the podcast where we explore different concepts and ideas on how our actions are affecting our environment and how that goes back to our own health and well-being. Welcome and today we have Alistair Tulloch. So Alistair is a fifth generation grape grower and winemaker at Keith Tulloch Wines and he's also the winery assistant and also the carbon neutral spokesperson of the winery as well. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Not a problem. Um, it's been such a pleasure meeting you a few times with some of the BU events and uh, volunteering for one of your community days um, that you collaborated with as well with um, Seth, who I had on my podcast before as well. Oh, from my sequester? Great. Yeah, he's a great. Yeah, so I just wanted to, like a lot of these episodes are really like starting with why people are motivated to do what they do and yeah so why did you choose to continue on with the family business with the winery yeah well i mean um finding yourself in the wine industry you get kind of count yourself pretty lucky um i I sort of fell into the whole industry i mean um my my family have always been in grape growing and wine making they've been making wine in the hunter valley since 1895 which is an awfully long time so yeah, I, I grew up in the vineyards doing that kind of work with my dad. You know, mum's always run the family business, sort of the, the administrative side and, and the, the practical sort of business parts of it. So I've been across it for ages. You know, when I got old enough to start enjoying wine, I, I got to, you know, dad, dad would always show me really nice wines and mum would make sure that, you know, I enjoyed them with food and stuff at the table. And yeah, wine's, wine's just always kind of been part of my life from from day one so it, it was really natural to to stay on and you know make it a career if you could call it that <laughs> mm. because you know it's it's a it's a great industry to be involved in and it doesn't really feel like I'm going to work every day so that's supposed to be a good sign I hear. Mm. Oh that's awesome and yeah you seem to whenever you speak about it seem to just really enjoy it as well. Absolutely yeah. Yeah I guess the podcast being more focused around health and like our climate as well. I guess some people would be a bit like one, probably wondering like, why am I having a winery? Um, someone from a winery on my podcast, but it's because yeah, you guys is that correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have the first carbon neutral winery in Australia. Uh, we weren't the first carbon neutral winery in Australia. We were the first in our region, and we're one mm. of uh, just a handful. Uh, we're the second uh, winery that's been uh, certified as carbon neutral in Australia. And I believe there's there's less than five in the country which are which are um, sort of officially state that they're carbon neutral. So for our region, it was it was a real breakthrough, and yeah, you know, something that we're we're really proud of. Um, the the carbon neutrality for us is is really important. You know, wine is you know so so linked to the climate. Every glass of wine is is kind of a reflection of the the season of the rainfall, of the heat or the cold and, you know, everything really contributes to that and, and wine's reacting really, really, really strongly to the changes we're seeing in the climate. So, you know, that, that for me was something that made a lot of sense to go down that route. Mm. And how long have you been curious about the climate change and, like, how long have you noticed the differences within the farm? Yeah, I mean, in the wine general industry as well as what you can see on the farm it's been obvious since about the early 90s which is as long as I've been alive I always remember growing up 
um, looking at the growing season when the vines would start to push out new growth and when the fruit would develop. And dad has been telling me my entire life, oh, it's earlier than it used to be. You know, we used to see this a couple of weeks earlier in the year or, or even now because the, the change my whole life has been about one day per year. The, the vines have ripened up earlier than they're supposed to progressively. So now when I talk about the grapes ripening, my dad and my grandfather, they tell me, oh, this is supposed to happen a month from now, not now. So we've seen a change in the growing season uh, move forward almost a a whole month. Uh, And that's not just in the Hunter Valley. That's across all of the Australian uh, and international vineyards as well. Actually, I'm in France right now and they're saying the same thing. The growing seasons have responded to even the tiny increases in average temperatures that we saw decades ago that, you know, most people didn't even notice that vineyards are just so sensitive. So my family's always been extremely aware and people I know in the wine industry have always been extremely aware of uh, just how present and obvious the problem is. And there's no, no debate in the, in the wine industry that it's, it's real, it's happening and, and that it's man-made. So that's kind of always, again, like, like the wine industry, climate change has always been a part of my, my life and watching it has always been really obvious. Mm. That's awesome. And it's good that you've taken a more proactive approach in neutralising your ambitions as well. And, yeah, just to share with the listeners, like what are the things that you've implemented in the winery to be able to neutralise your carbon emissions? Yeah, I mean, um, for us, we, we try and be as sustainable as possible for everything that we do on the farm. So the, the actual farming principles themselves we, we have you know, a number of things I can go through that makes the, the vineyard health as sustainable as possible. In the winery, uh, we're always trying to uh, minimise the amount of waste that we use and make, make sure that the winery is as efficient as possible. Um, and in our own lives, we try and, and minimise our impact on the environment. So taking the winery's carbon emissions and trying to reduce them as well was kind of like the next next step in making sure we weren't just sustainable on farm, but we were also sustainable in in our impact on the climate. So what we did is we, first of all, we had a look at what our total emissions were. So we uh, we got in a consultant that taught us how to basically count up what our carbon emissions were. And at first I was really, I was actually really worried that the, the emissions were going to be gigantic because uh, when we ferment the grapes and turn them into wine, uh, a huge amount of CO2 is released during that uh, conversion. So basically the, the yeast in the fermentation, they uh, consume sugar and they release uh, carbon dioxide and, and alcohol, which is how you end up with you know, beer, wine, spirits whatever you end up with but what we actually learned was that every single molecule of carbon that's released in the fermentation was actually sequestered by our own vines uh in that growing season so the the actual act of making wine that is the the picking the ferment the fermenting and uh and getting the actual product is is carbon neutral naturally which seems obvious once you kind of think about the science that, you know, the plants had to suck that CO2 down from the atmosphere to create the, the grapes. And then that some of that CO2 is released back. Yeah. We actually sequester more carbon than we release in fermentation for the natural process of growing grapes and making wine. 
But then what we did was we figured out that some of the ancillary things around, you know, how we run our tractors, fertilizers that we were using in the vineyard, electricity use, uh, glassware uh, is a big one, and transport. Uh, they were created a, a CO2 emissions of about 660 tonnes uh, equivalent CO2, which includes, and, and by tonnes equivalent, I mean that includes things like methane gas, which is a greenhouse gas. It includes uh, refrigerant gases, which are greenhouse gases. And all of these together are put into CO2 equivalents just so that you have a single currency, I guess, to talk about all of the greenhouse gases that your business emits. So figuring out what that footprint was and 660 tonnes sounds quite small. It is quite small, but for an organisation of our size, but uh, when you think about what 660 tonnes of CO2 would look like if, if someone dropped 660 tonnes of anything off at your doorstep and held you responsible for it, it's, it's pretty big. It's a pretty big number. Um, so... The biggest and easiest thing we could do was to change the electricity supply. So we introduced a solar to the to the farm. So we we have a huge solar array uh, at the at the front of the winery that you can see when you visit now, uh, and that produces enough to cover about seventy percent of our emissions. And we're we're going uh, through seventy percent of our emissions from electricity. That is, um, which was uh, saving us about a hundred tons of CO two equivalent per year that we were previously taking from the grid. So by doing that, uh, and then also trying to optimize the system as much as possible by uh, using electricity during the day and doing processes while that's generating electricity has, has really helped to take a huge chunk out of, out of our CO2 emissions. Uh, another really uh, surprisingly large uh, emission was in using fertilizer in the vineyard. So, the fertilizer that we were using before was synthetic nitrogen-based fertilizer, and that actually releases um, surprisingly large amounts of nitrous oxide, which is a really potent greenhouse gas. So what we did uh, is, is introduce uh, a couple of processes instead of fertilizing, and we actually now grow uh, crops in the middle of the vineyard rows. So normally when you drive past a vineyard, you see that the ground underneath the vine looks quite bare or in the middle, there's kind of, you know, been mown grass and it's all very neat. With our vineyard in, in the winter, we actually grow radishes, uh, beans, uh, we grow uh, wheat, barley in the middle of the vineyard rows there. And uh, we use that natural source of nitrogen and, and carbon as a, as a fertilizer by sort of rolling the vine, the uh, material back into the ground. That, that gives the vines a source of nitrogen and carbon uh, that, that can use to maintain vine health without having to introduce these synthetic fertilisers to the vineyard system. So what it's actually done is, apart from reduce our CO2 emissions in the vineyard quite a lot, is that it's actually reduced costs quite a lot because we're not buying fertilizer um, mm. and it actually makes the soil a lot healthier so there's two really really obvious examples of things that we've done um, it could go really further into things like new refrigeration equipment that we've bought and glassware that we've changed over and all the way down to changing our paper supplies in the office and where we buy our barrels from and, and what boxes we buy. I mean, everything's been audited, everything's been analysed so that we can reduce that CO2 equivalent 
uh, reduce those greenhouse gases as much as we possibly can all the way across the business from when, we, when we're working with the grapevines in the vineyards when we get wine to pickles doors. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. And do you use any more natural, I guess, herbicides as well and using crops to keep some pests away from the vines? Yeah, so, I mean, this is sort of veering a little bit away from the carbon neutrality itself, but we kind of have a three-pronged sustainability program at the winery. Um, there's the soil health uh, which kind of goes into what I was talking about with those um, cover crops and reducing the amount of herbicide that we use and eliminating it when we can. And that that's really aimed at making the soil the healthiest and most nutritious possible place for the grapevines to grow, which is a really obvious way to uh, grow great wine because, you know, you reap what you sow and the, the soil underneath of the vine being healthy is kind of the ABCs of growing grapes, but we're trying to look at ways that we can do that that also minimises our environmental impact. Then we have a actually a, a biodiversity program, and this kind of links both into soil health and into the carbon neutrality as well. So you, uh, Jamie, came out and you planted some trees um, adjacent to our vineyard area, uh, which was a great help. Thanks for that. We've planted at the property now uh, about 600 native trees that are designed to bring in beneficial insects. And we've planted those in plots that border vineyard areas strategically. And we're tracking the number of uh, what we call assassin bugs, which is a cool name for <laughs> uh, bugs. They're going to eat any pests and diseases um, in the vineyard that would otherwise need pesticide treatment. So... We're actually running this experiment with the Australian uh, Department of Primary Industries, uh, the New South Wales uh, Department of Primary Industries, that is. So we've got the government research analysing whether this approach is going to effectively increase the number of beneficial insects in the vineyard so that we can uh, essentially eliminate pesticide use, which, which would be my dream. Because if you use a pesticide in the vineyard, I mean, there's, there's horrible like knock-on effects for the local um, ecology in the biosphere but the also means that you knock out all of your beneficial insects so I'm really trying hard to get a population of these beneficial insects uh, which should act as a natural barrier for pests and diseases because what often happens is that when when people do apply these pesticides it solves the problem for a short amount of time but then because you do kill all of those beneficials when pests do return to the vineyard they return in greater numbers because there's no competition for them so there's a really there's a number of ways that eliminating pesticide use is really beneficial not just for the wider environment but also for the vineyard system so the biodiversity part of the vineyard is is about planting trees and sequestering carbon like you did um, but there's also some key uh, elements of vineyard management and wider um, sort of benefits to the vineyard system that uh, we're trying to do with that as well so that and along with the carbon neutrality, uh, the biodiversity and the soil health kind of makes up most of uh, our time. And, and we think about these things intertwined because they often um, affect one another in a way that um, it can be really beneficial as well. Yeah, it's um, interesting as I learn more about permaculture and regenerative practices and seeing businesses like yours, like implementing those, it's kind of going back to what we were doing long before when we were hunters and gatherers and our environment was so diverse, kind of bringing that back 
along with all this urban space that we've got going on now. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that word into it, uh, regenerative agriculture, because, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of it. And I think it's um, something that we'll be seeing more and more. It's, you know, in, it, in its basic principles, it, it's really not too complicated. It's about using living systems to regenerate the, the soil uh, and the, the biosphere, the microorganics uh, and the, the native wildlife back to a, a living system, which is complementary of agriculture. Because so, so many uh, agricultural systems right now see the native world and the actual soil health in such simple ways. But there's such complex systems that exist there that you can take advantage of that can be you know, not just good for the soil and good for the environment, but also really good for your wallet if it's properly implemented across the, the business. So that's what we aim for. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. A bit more holistic. And like I'd assume all these harmful chemicals, like if they're going into the wine and they're going into people's bodies, it's not exactly um, great for our bodies as humans. I'm wondering if you know a bit more about like the effects of those toxins in grapes and then subsequently in people's bodies as well. Yeah, so most of the chemicals that are sprayed onto grapevines in traditional viticulture, they have certain withholding periods, uh, which means that they, they won't pass on into the grapes, into the winery. Uh, and then uh, even if they are, a lot of them are lost in things like fermentation, um, which is a huge sort of bioconversion in uh, from when the grapes enter winery into the and go into wine. I'm not, I'm not hugely um, concerned uh, about those kind of things passing on into, into wine, but I think a lot more agricultural products which are consumed directly are, are a much bigger risk. And uh, I know that uh, in the European Union, uh, for example, in France where I'm working, they've banned the use of Roundup, which is sort of the, the most well-known um, glyphosate-based uh, herbicide. And so where I'm working now, they don't, they don't have Roundup to use as an option like grape growers do in Australia uh, because there's some uh, evidence that that product um, has ended up in, in human bodies after application on fruit and vegetables. So, yeah, I, again, I don't know much of the, uh, much of the, the actual science behind it, but I'll, I really try and reduce uh, and eliminate the use of these kind of chemicals. Uh, it's, it's, a lot of what I think about and a lot of what our planning goes into with this, how we can use other methods because uh, when we can use natural systems to replace uh, a chemical or, or some kind of uh, mechanised process as well, uh, like cultivation, uh, which is also uh, has, has some um, negative effects on the soil. If we can reduce those, then, then we're going to have not only healthier soil, but then there's no chance it can be passed on to any consumers. One, one of the other things we've done is uh, specifically to replace um, the use of herbicide in the vineyard. We've started growing crops, not just in the middle of rows, um, so in between where the grapes are grown, um, also right underneath where the grapes are grown, underneath the vine. Uh, we've sown clovers. So these aren't crops for um, vegetables or anything, but we've sown these clovers which create this mat underneath the grapevines uh, and suppress other weeds. So we keep a, a constant garden underneath the grapevines that suppresses weeds and keeps the, the vines happy, basically, without having to go in there and cultivate. And that is like rip the soil apart um, and 
which you really disturb the soil structure when you cultivate without having to use um, harmful herbicides. So um, now when you drive along our vineyard, uh, you see underneath the vines is this constant mat of clovers, which is, it, it isn't just reducing the herbicide use or the cultivation, it also fixes a lot of nitrogen in there that the plants get to use. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of our thinking goes behind how we can reduce those kind of chemicals. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. And it's good to hear that you're being really mindful about all this and it's all benefiting the whole business and like at your environment as well. Do you guys have any other animals that you've intentionally put in the property for that or it's more just planting the crops that are attracting natural creatures that would be around anyway? Yeah, the, the main uh, things we've done at the moment has been the insects. Um, I would love to have um, livestock or sheep in particular as part of the agricultural system, but we actually... Our vineyard is part of a larger block, which was divided back about uh, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so our, our vineyard actually doesn't have direct borders with our neighbours. It's it's just a one row is ours and the next row is a neighbour's. And it, mm-hmm. it can make it really difficult to properly fence the area. Uh, it would be actually next to impossible to fence off the area without getting rid of quite a lot of vineyards. So we can't introduce things like sheep or larger animals in and control them directly right now Um, the main plan is for birds um, chickens just to get rid of some of our organics waste from the restaurant and the and the vineyard but I I know of producers that have used livestock and particularly sheep to control weed growth underneath the vines uh, instead of using cultivation or herbicides or clovers like we've used if you introduce sheep between the period of when you pick the grapes and and when the new growth starts because unfortunately the sheep will kind of eat the grapevines as well if you're not careful. People, people are very effectively using sheep to control that area and, and you actually make a bit of money off the adjustment of sheep on that property or, or if they're your own sheep, then it's free. So that, that can be really useful in thinking about how animals can uh, help the, uh, the vineyard health and, again, reduce the use of the tractor, um, miles on the tractor, CO2 in the atmosphere or any, any chemical use. Mm, yeah interesting thank you thank you for sharing all of that with me yes like bringing it back to our own health as well I've grown up and my dad loves wine um, grew up in the Philippines and like being raised as Protestant and I was given red wine since I was about 10 and a yeah I guess it's just been drilled in my head and like red wine's good for you but obviously in moderation um I do you know any more Figured, like any more hard, harder facts on that apart from the old wives tales that I've um, grown up with? Um, yeah, it's, it's actually um, not all bullshit, surprisingly, which is great news for people that do enjoy um, a glass of wine. Excellent. So <laughs> no, the red wine in particular contains uh, lots of antioxidants. So that red wine is actually good for your heart. The recommendation is a glass of red wine a day. It actually will extend your life expectancy, which, which is really surprising to hear a study like that. But yeah, obviously in moderation, um, a glass a day is, is not uh, a bottle. <laughs> or, um, as, as you know, obviously um, everybody, everybody has different limits, but um, that's the general recommendation. What I find really interesting about wine 
and and health is actually uh, more about uh, mental health. There was a study, and I, I wish I could remember the university that did this study, but I read it about a year ago, um, and that is that they analysed the uh, amount of brain activity around uh, a couple of processes. One was doing um, playing chess, another was listening to classical music. One was doing um, complex uh, calculus, mathematics. The other one was um, drinking uh, or tasting a wine. And uh, what was really surprising was that tasting the wine was actually the most mentally stimulating uh, above even uh, doing complex math, which kind of blew me away. Yeah, wow. And the reason is because, uh, and I'm not talking about like, you know, drinking um, a glass of wine without thinking. Um, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is when you put the glass to your nose and you smell the wine and you try and you're, you're trying to pick up those characters, your brain is really working hard to connect what it smells um, to your, your memories. So uh, what wines you've had before, what other, what other things you've smelt before, you know, maybe you've had this wine before when you had it last. Wine can be really interesting like that. And, and when I get a bottle of wine out of my cellar, I kind of often really remember where I went, or what I was doing at the time, who I was with. And, and these are the kind of connections that are made um, on an insane level mentally when you're tasting wine properly. So, you know, not only is it linked to the, the complex processes behind taste and smell, but it's also really reaching back into memory and trying to analyze and store new memories about the wine that you're drinking. So as long as you're thinking about the wine in your glass, it can be extremely um, mentally stimulating and, and really great for your, your cognitive health. So um, again, I, I beg people to think harder about the wine in their glass because it's great for you. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, and smells quite a really good anchor for memories, I've heard. Excellent anchor for memories, yeah. Olf olfactory senses really strongly linked to memory. Um, I couldn't tell you why, but, um, yeah, often, often smells and tastes can really, really bring back very strong memories. Yeah, so what's one action that anyone in the world can implement on the, in their lives to improve their health in terms of wine? And you can also link that to being um, carbon neutral as well. Basically, what I try and do when I'm, I guess it's more looking at sort of my impact on the environment and, and going into that carbon neutrality, which is, you know, is a lot of what I think about. What I do is I try to make, wake up with the mindset every day is that if 7 billion people did what I did, what it would look like. So, you know, if, if I woke up and went down to the coffee shop, but I forgot my keep cup, and I just go, ah, oh, it's just one. I'll just get my coffee in a takeaway cup. It's not that bad. It's just one cup. And I just think about what it would look like if 7 billion people thought the same thing and did the same thing, what a stack of 7 billion keep cups would look like or 7, 7 billion takeaway cups, sorry. Um, and when you start thinking like that, you know, when you're doing the shopping, when you're trying to find the best product, whether it's wine or whether it's, um, you know, cling wrap. Um, uh, you know, if you can if you can replace your cling wrap with like beeswax wrap, like I have, and probably many people have at home, then you know, one step at a time, you save seven billion pieces of cling wrap plastic. You know, going into into the oceans. So, 
the, the way I try and approach it is just saying it's not just one. It's every time I do something stupid, every time I do something which is bad for the environment, you've got to times it by 7 billion because if everyone thinks like that, then the problem's massive. So that's my advice. Yeah, I love that. It's like that classic. I think I saw it um, a, few, oh, a few years ago now. It was just an image on Instagram. It's a photo of one straw and it's like just one straw said 7 billion people. And that's just, yeah, makes a massive difference. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we all know uh, how critical these issues are with our environment uh, right now. And um, the approach that people have that, you know, we're going to wait for the, the government or, or some, some international agreement to come and, and save us or, or corporations will um, clean up their act and stuff. I, I just think that everybody needs to understand that their, their personal decisions times 7 billion are what really makes a massive difference. So please make the right decisions when you're out there. You don't have to buy our wine, but just make sure you're trying to minimise your impact on the environment and set a good example for others. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alistair. And so how do people like get in, either get in touch with you or get in touch with the winery? I'm, I'm very easy to get in touch with. You can find me on Instagram. My username is at Alistair Tulloch. Um, you send me any messages or contact me via there. I'm, I'm usually available. The winery uh, it also has its own Instagram page, uh, which is at Keith Tulloch Wine, uh, lowercase, no, no funny underscores or anything like that. Um, the winery itself um, is usually open seven days. Obviously, trading hours at the moment are restricted from COVID, but um, normally open seven days from 10 through to 5. You can always drop in and do a tasting, always come in and ask us about what we're doing, uh, new environmental processes. They change a lot uh, depending on, on uh, what the, the new best information is. So that's at 989 Hermitage Road, Pecolbin, 2300. Um, and you can contact us on phone. Obviously, it's in New South Wales. So if you're out of state, 02 4998 uh, 7500. Amazing. Thanks, Oh, You're very welcome, Jamie. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of Healing My Earth, Healing Me. I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to connect with me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And I'm excited to catch you at the next episode.